The Pinball Network is online. Launching Pinball Innovators and Makers Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Pinball Podcast focused on the innovators and makers who are crafting homebrew, custom, and retheme pinball machines, the technology that makes these personal projects possible, and the companies helping with these journeys. Custom pinballs are a deeply personal and technically challenging undertaking, requiring time, money, knowledge, and most importantly, the desire to make it happen. I'm Dan Rosenstein, your host. Join me and let's go under the play field and see what's needed to make a custom pinball possible. Welcome pinball innovators and makers. Today we have the always energetic, creative, and friendly Scott Denisi. Scott was one of the early pioneers of homebrew pinball and has gone on to be a designer on three production machines, Total Nuclear Annihilation, Rick and Morty, and the newest P3 module, Final Resistance. Scott, you were one of the first people I set sights on to interview for this podcast when I started it in January. So I'm crazy as a fanboy in parentheses, excited to have you on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and having me on. Um, Yeah, I'm totally excited for this. So, um, you know, your pinball origin story has actually been told on multiple different podcasts. I've heard it numerous times. I'm excited by it every single time. So I think like, instead of rehashing that, like the focus of this podcast is really about pinball innovators and makers. And I think you're one of the best people to have on this show. And so why don't you start specifically with your custom and homebrew origin story? Um, let's yeah. let's start there. You know, if you want to talk about your first pinball machine, by all means, go for it. Sure. I'm sure the audience would love to hear it, but I think that that that's the best place to start. Absolutely. So, um, I, the first time I tried to homebrew anything, this is this is an interesting story. Um, I picked up. Uh, I was just getting. I was I was getting into pinball for a few years at this point, um, and I picked up a Judge Dread pinball machine, and I was playing it, and I'm like, you know, this software is not done. And I'm, I'm like noticing that and I'm like, that's really interesting. I wonder if anyone's ever like put out a new ROM or something, you know? And then uh, I was also at the same time, like, you know, the, the music's not good. <laughs> I don't like the music. I'm like, I could do something really neat if I were to be able to like modify this ROM or something. Right. So I was looking around and I found some like free WPC. So a thing called free WPC. Um, and that uh, was very complicated. It was assembly language. I just didn't have the time at that point in my life to try and learn that. Um, so I kept looking around for other options. And it turned out I found this thing called a P-Rock, which was um, something that I could take and replace the CPU in my game with and then hook my game to a computer and have the computer actually run the pinball hardware. So I got really excited about that. Um, I, uh, picked up one of those, I downloaded the framework stuff on my computer. I kind of got it running. Um, and then, uh, started messing with judge dreads code because what was really, really good is that the, uh, first like sample game that the P rock had was, uh, like the framework was judge dread. So a lot of the stuff was already rewritten for me. Yeah, it was great. Like I got really lucky with that one. I was like, oh, this is perfect. What so, what year was, uh, was was this going on? Um, this was probably 2010, maybe, okay. or 2009, uh, somewhere in that era. I, I don't really recall. Um, but yeah, some, somewhere in there. So I uh, started messing with Judge Dredd. I, the first thing I did, I didn't even go into any of the like rules code or anything. The first thing I did was swap the music. <laughs> so I uh, 
I just took some uh, loops from some uh, bands that I really liked, some electronic music uh, stuff that I really enjoyed, and uh, dumped that all in there. And uh, then I just started playing the game to see what was already built in there. Uh, again, realizing the game wasn't done. Again, it was a sample game um, created by Jerry, actually. And uh, so from there, I started digging into the code and playing with a little more. And then uh, I did not finish it. I just um, I, I decided like, OK, that's that's good enough, you know, and I didn't want a computer hooked up to my Judge Dredd all the time. So I started looking into other things, like how I could build a small computer that would like fit inside of it that would always be in there, like either a laptop or like a shuttle PC, right? So at, um, at, at this point, Scott, your mm -hmm. uh, the computer is actually sitting next to the yeah, it's the, my the studio. Yeah. yeah, it's my studio computer with a huge USB cable running to the machine. And I'm like, you know, when I have parties and stuff, this is not like <laughs> a sustainable way of doing this. So I'm like, I need to get a computer and put it in there. So I ended up buying uh, a shuttle PC. And at the same time that that happened, I picked up an Earthshaker. And it was really nice. This was uh, Earthshaker prototype number two that was fully restored by um, HSA Pinball, which is a local, uh, was a local uh, guy here and uh, in Chicago. Uh, so I picked that thing up and it was amazing and I'm playing Earthshaker, just playing it. And I look at myself again and I'm like, oh man, this music sucks. <laughs> I'm like, this is like not good. Uh, no. So yeah, I got that, I got that bug again. But quick, quick question for you. Um, sure. You know, in 2023, you're, you're known to be a very accomplished uh, musician. You've done a lot of soundtracks. You've recorded your own, uh, own work. You've done soundtracks for, for machines as well. Um, as well as sound effects. Um, back in this time frame, were you already like? Did you already have musical chops, or is that something you were learning as you were going through this journey? Um, yeah. So I already had been writing music for a long time before this. Um, I started it's the first time I started dabbling with samplers and electronic music production was in 1996. Okay. So I was in high school and started messing with this stuff. Um, it was really, really bad sounding, really oversampled. Like I owned rights to none of it because I was just copying and pasting things out of other thing, other works that were already done and remixing them and doing stuff, you know, like just learning, right. That's a, it, when someone first starts out, it's, you know, it, it, you don't ever save any of that stuff really, you know? Right. Um, um and and, and then on the programming side, working with the with the framework, um, luckily that it was Judge Dredd, you know, you did you already know how to code and like understand programming or was that a skill you were picking up along the way? Oh, yeah, this is interesting, too, because I have I have a degree in information systems technology, which is a, uh, a degree with um, it, it's basically like um, a bridge between technology and business. And it's, I focused more on the technology side. So I got a lot of computer programming in that. Um, and then I went on and at this time when I was doing all this, I had worked, I was working for a consulting firm doing uh, business intelligence design. So we were designing databases and front end systems and all this stuff. So I knew all these random like programming languages and multi-dimensional database languages and all this crazy stuff and like automation and stuff. So I knew all that. I had never seen Python in my life at this oh. point. 
right? I, I did like visual basic and all sorts of Oracle programming stuff, right? But uh, never seen Python. So when I fired up Judge Dredd and started looking at the code, I'm like, okay, I don't really recognize what's going on here. But Python is such a high level programming language. It's basically English. Absolutely. And the framework, that PyPirate game framework makes everything so much easier to use because it's basically like you set all your coils up in a flat file and then you say in Python, you say like coil name dot pulse and then give it a pulse, you know, millisecond thing, right? And um, it's really, uh, it was really straightforward. I learned Python really quick. Um, But uh, yeah, so the, after I got the Judge Dredd one, just sort of dabbling with it and, and understanding how everything worked, I pulled the computer out of it. Um, put it back to stock and then looked at my earth shaker and it started, it looked back at me and it started trembling, you know, <laughs> like how uh, it knows what's coming, you know, cause I gave it that look. And um, so <laughs> what I did was I took this earth shaker, which is uh, the prototype number two, the second earth shaker ever built um, with all of its prototype parts, with its prototype play field, with its full restoration um, and I ripped it apart. I put in a driver board that allowed me to adapt the P-Rock, like WPC looking, um, you know, circuit board to this system 11 game. I installed and drilled in an auto launcher into the game. <laughs> um, I installed LEDs in the back glass. I took the back glass completely out and replaced it with a clear piece of glass uh all, all sorts of ridiculous stuff like just i i did things like that no, like pinball purists would have killed me for but i made the game even more special in my eyes than what it was before so what? not only is this the second earth shaker ever made but now it has all of this custom hardware built into it right what what was the calling like let, let's actually focus on that a little bit let's go let's go under the play field what was the calling yeah. when that machine was shaking at you that you you know you had the light bulb you were like i'm gonna i'm gonna go all in full bore and do these things that are that are you know not not pure to this machine where yeah. where did that come from well it it came from a uh it came from kind of a collaboration because i was I was working or not working. I was um, talking a lot with the other homebrewers in the pinball controllers forum. And at the same time, um, we're all talking about these projects that we're doing. And I'm talking about Judge Dredd and, you know, and, and uh, uh, Kuhn is talking about uh, this Bride of Pinbot project that he's working on. Right. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking this thing. I'm putting a, putting like a, you know, all this stuff, all this work into it. It's a whole new game, all this stuff. And I'm like, that's a really good idea. Like, that's awesome. And then I've got this earth shaker sitting here, which I despise the music on. Right. I mean, it's not, okay. So it's not terrible, right? I don't hate it, but it's not great. Um, so I'm, that's when the machine started getting scared because I, all these guys <laughs> are now saying like, well, you know, like we do all this and we adapt all these other games. And I'm like, well, I'm going to, do this system 11 game and see what I can do. No one's done Earthshaker yet. Uh, so that's when I started digging into it. That's what I'm like, okay, what features do I want to add to this game? What makes it better, right? I want to add a true wizard mode. I want to add in, you know, just a little bit 
further, like just a little bit more to this, to this rule set, right? I want to make a good multi-ball start where it uses the uh, shaker motor properly, right? Because there is a, a shaker motor by default in Earthshaker, which is cool. Um, and uh, that's when I started, we can go down the path of the shaker motor thing, which is uh, a whole other thing. Um, but that's when I started saying like, okay, this is going to be feasible. I'm going to do this thing. You know, I just started digging in and actually doing it. Um, I got all the hardware squared away. I got the configuration files built. I got it first flipping. And that was like so rewarding to me to be able to like press start on the thing and have the flippers work. You know, it wasn't actually playing a game yet, but it would kick a ball out and the flippers would work but, and you would just die and it did nothing else. Right. Sure, um, sure. I, I even worked with a guy named Jim Askey to uh, create and use uh, some stuff that he had used in, in the past for another project he was working on to interface my alphanumeric displays with the PROC system. Hmm. Uh, so I was able to write and build custom little characters that I could display on that, uh, on that display. So I made some really cool little animations that have like, you know, it says Earthshaker Aftershock is what I called it. Like Aftershock comes after Earthshake or after earthquakes, right? So um, then, uh, so yeah, there's the, it says that and it actually shakes it like the top and bottom shake separately. And the, the, as it does that, the characters kind of like fall down. That's awesome. Like like buildings falling down. I know it's not really like funny to make light of that, but it's, <laughs> it, is, uh, it was just a cool little effect that I was doing uh, with that. Um, so, um so yeah. Did you, before you got into pinball, um, mm -hmm. you know, like pre pre pinball origin story, uh, were you, you know, did you like taking things apart, putting them back together and like doing this type of like non-traditional, like retrofitting or updating or like, is it, did it really start with, with, with pinball? Uh, it did not start with pinball. I was probably seven years old and I was already soldering and desoldering things. Um, so my parents and my grandparents were very like encouraging when I wanted to take things apart. So they would get me things purposely that I could take apart and ruin, right? Like an old answering machine or something like, you know, something harmless, not a TV, right? My, my dad always warned <laughs> me like no TVs. And he's like, don't touch anything that touch that plugs into the wall outlet until you completely understand what you're doing because it can kill you. And I'm like, okay, batteries only got it. And uh, I do have a funny story about that too, where I pushed my luck on a, on a battery operated device. If you want to hear that. Yeah, let's hear um, it. All right. So, <laughs> so I'm taking a lot of things apart. I got a, um, I got a disposable camera uh, and I wanted to see what was inside of that. Right. Remember those things where you would like, you'd like wind it by hand and yeah. then like, you know, had little batteries in it and it would just click and you, you turn in the whole camera to Walgreens and you get your pictures back. Well, I want to see what how that thing worked, right? I want to take it all apart. So I took it all apart, pulled the circuit boards apart, like laid it all out on the table. And then I put the batteries back in it so I could see like if anything's moving or lighting up or whatever. And uh, I decided to charge the flash <laughs> while it was open. And I pressed the flash button. Remember those flash buttons where you have to hold it for a while until like the little orange light comes on. And when the orange light's on, then you're ready to go. 100%. Yeah. So I did that orange light comes on i'm like that's so cool the flash is charged up and i grabbed the circuit board with my hand and i discharged the flash capacitor uh which is like thousands of volts of power into my into my arms and i like saw this like big flash of white and i was like and 
tons of pain and I was just in pain. It's just, I'm this, I'm this kid, right? So I'm just like, what is going on? What, what's that? Like, I'm like, okay, okay, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Now, like, and I looked at it and I'm like, I know enough now to know capacitors are charging this thing. So I'm looking at this thing and there's a big capacitor on there. Right. And it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty sizable. And I'm like, well, that's crazy. And I was doing some reading. Um, I checked out a book from the library on camera flashes and how that stuff worked to figure out what was going on and what happened. And, uh, yeah, it turns out that they charge those things up to like thousands of volts and, uh, it discharges immediately and it will do that right into your hand if you touch the wrong spot of the circuit board. So that was something I'll never forget. You learned that lesson once. I did. I did. <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I basically tased myself. That's all it is. And, uh, you know, there's this, you know, like there's this old, you know, there's all these old books. I won't mention what books they are, but there's these old books that show you how to do like crazy things. And one of them is how to make a taser out of a disposable camera. Um, so that is, uh, that's a thing. So I tased myself by accident, but you know what? I, I had always been curious about how things worked, pulling stuff apart, whether it's mechanically or electrically, both of those things. And just like, you know, I, I can't even remember the countless things I've taken apart, destroyed and had to have my parents throw away <laughs> because I just, you know, I wasn't putting them back together because I was just, I would, you know, sometimes I would take, you know, pliers and break things off just to get into something to see what was going on inside of it. Was there ever a time though, that you remember taking something apart and actually getting it back together to working order? You know, not specifically, which is really funny. Um, maybe it didn't stand out to me enough, but eventually I could take things apart. Like if there's something like a, like a Casio keyboard or something, and I could take the shell off of it. And I could look and see what's going on in there. I could get the shell back on it and screw it back together. But like sometimes those shells never quite fit right. You know, I do distinctly remember not having like every time I took something apart and put it back together, the shell kind of wasn't right. and It wasn't aligned properly. And, you know, it, but it still worked, you know. But yeah, I do remember that. Um, when, yeah, nothing when super distinct. When, when, when my parents uh, bought our, 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 you know, my, my childhood home, they bought it apparently from a degenerate gambler who had a, like, you know, a, 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 a like business line coming into the house. And we, so we had one of those old, it wasn't a rotary phone, it was a digital phone, but it looked like an old rotary phone. And it had, you know, was connected not through a standard auxiliary or a, a standard RJ11 uh, a, 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 a connection, but like a business one. And mm -hmm. um, we had the a phone that I one day just completely took apart and managed to get the thing back together, but it never rang right after oh, no. after after I put it back together. <laughs> so as you were going to that story, it was kind of reminding me of, of the degenerate gambler. Anyways, well, that also reminded me of a different story, which I will <laughs> tell you really fast. Uh, yeah, please. I was I was messing with uh, a speaker phone. There was a uh, there were these things like the speaker phones back in the day when you hook a land light up, so you have it like on a landline, you can answer it on this speakerphone thing and listen to the line, right? So I was taking that apart. And my dad always told me never to mess with something that's plugged into the wall, right? So this wasn't plugged into the wall, it was plugged into the phone outlet, right? So that's fine. And you know, he thought that was probably fine. So he's like, yeah, go for it, whatever. You know, because I wanted to take it apart. And I want to have the speaker sitting over here and over here. I wanted to like power it up while it was like apart, you know, I did one of those. But, like, so Normally, that's uh, that's like twelve volts coming out of the uh, out of that thing. Um, the problem is, it's not twelve volts when it sends a ring signal. 
I don't know the exact voltage of it, but it was enough to make me like jump back when I, uh, when I got hit by it. So, uh, there is, uh, that man, all these memories, man. I haven't thought about that in years, but yeah, I got, I got shocked by the, uh, by the phone system. Someone's going to have to like look that up or I'm going to have to look that up after the fact and see what that, uh, landline voltage is when it rings. Cause that's, uh, I got hit with that directly. I'm, I'm sure Scott, you and I will both get comments, uh, both on the podcast and, and to you directly on, on what the answer to that is. Um, Perfect. So, so, so you've, you've, you've had the knack um, for, for your entire, entire, entire life, which I would no, no, no surprise, but it's good. It's good to hear the stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so back, back to the earth shaker, I, de- you know, I, I, I deviated your, your story there. Sure. Sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, actually I can, I can actually bridge this a little bit before pinball. There's actually another phase I went through too, right before pinball. Um, when I was still producing a lot of music in the early two thousands and the, uh, in fact, like, you know, just before the pinball. So I was really into all this stuff. Uh, I was actually building synthesizers oh, wow. um, just for, for fun, right? Like uh, Atari punk consoles. And I built something called a MIDI box SID, which is a uh, Commodore 64 SID chip, which is the audio chip from a Commodore 64. Um, and it's a fully standalone hardware, open source hardware thing where you build, you just, you, you uh, have the PCBs, which are designed and open source already, and you get these things made. You uh, then wire everything up and program all these things and flash everything and customize the case and all this stuff. And you have this now MIDI controlled uh, Commodore 64, exactly Commodore 64 sounding synthesizer at your disposal, uh, which I still have today. I built it in 2005, I believe. It's actually sitting in the rack actually right next to me right here. Uh, I don't power it up much anymore, and I, I never use it for anything. It's more just sitting there now as like a little relic. Um, it's uh, I designed the front panel on it and everything. It's kind of cool. Um, That's so cool. But yeah, it's it's really neat. I could take a picture of it and send it to you. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, it's kind of just kind of a fun little little thing. Um, but uh, so I was doing synthesizers and stuff, and then after or while I was doing all that, I got really really into something called circuit bending. Sure. Yeah, and I don't know if um, most people know what that is, but I'll explain. Um, basically, what you do with circuit bending means um, that you take something and you rewire it in a way that it's not supposed to be rewired, um, so that it's uh, it, it's essentially kind of broken. Um, so the common ones that people do are speak and spells. You can take an old speak and spell, and these are usually done with kids' toys. You take an old speaking spell and what you do is you start poking around and bridging things on the circuit board that aren't supposed to be bridged until the thing loses its mind when you power it up <laughs> and it makes the craziest glitchy sounds and you and they're always different anytime anyone circuit bends something it's always a different thing right because no one's copying each other right you're putting different value resistors in places that aren't supposed to be there you know little potentiometers which are just like volume control knobs where, where they're not supposed to be and pushing signals through to other places where they're not supposed to be. So it's like the thing just loses its mind. You stick a quarter inch output jack on that, plug it into your hardware and you can record from it and do some really cool stuff. Um, I actually created a complete sample pack um, just from sounds that I pulled out of those circuit bent toys because it's like, it, it makes it sound satanic. Like it's so cool. Like, 
uh, I don't know if you've ever, um, I know you, you've got kids, so you probably have heard this before where a kid leaves a toy on and the batteries are starting to die on it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, did you ever hear how it turns really like satanic sounding and it's oh. like kind of turns on by itself and does weird stuff? Oh, Scott, I forced the toys into that. Oh, <laughs> perfect. That perfect. Yes, that is awesome. But that is an actual circuit bending technique, which where what you do is you take a piece of aluminum foil, right? And then you put a piece of cardboard and then you put another piece of aluminum foil on the other side. And you hook wires up to both sides of the aluminum foil and you put that to a potentiometer, which is just a variable resistor. And you stick that between the batteries and the toy. And then what you do is turn down the potentiometer, which is essentially reducing the voltage and current that the toy can actually get from those batteries. And it turns the thing completely insane. It's a non-destructive like bend that you can do to toys uh, just and, and quickly too, just to, uh, you know, see what you can get out of it. Uh, but it's, it's absolutely incredible what some of these toys do. There, there, there's a guy on uh, YouTube who posts every so often, um, you know, taking a, uh, a power regulator, um, and put, hooking it up to, to kids toys and then turning the power instead of what you're do- saying, where the, where the power is reduced, he actually cranks it up to, you know, to yeah. 11, if you will. And like, it's the funniest shit that happens it's, Absolutely. It's, it, 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 in many ways. It's very unexpected. And in some ways it's expected and it's still funny. So, yeah, the, what's really funny about that is I've watched a ton of those too. Uh, what's funny about that is that electric motors in toys can handle so much more voltage oh. than what they're rated for. So when there's when people are starting to put higher voltage into these things, the motors are just they're they can take it for a long time before they eventually like burn out. So they're usually mechanically destroying something else in the toy, which is hilarious. Like the things just like going or, nuts, like or or they fry out some you know downstream resistor or, or other component that wasn't rated for the wattage that that was supposed to be going in. So yeah. I, I, I had no idea you were, you were into this stuff. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. So the circuit bending stuff is really cool. I still have, um, I still have my original, uh, speak and read that I, uh, circuit bent. I did a lot of performances with it back in the day as well. Um, I, I pulled it out of retirement probably, uh, a year and a half ago, um, just to see if it still worked. But like I it had been through so many like raves and stuff that like knobs were broken off of it and like switches were broken on it. And, uh, you know, it just, it looked bad. So I, um, I actually sent it off to one of my really good friends who was one of like, in my opinion, the best circuit benders in the United States. Um, I sent it off to him, uh, for him to just go through it and just clean it up, put the, you know, just work his magic on it. And what he did was, uh, went through and he knew the history of the device, right? It, he knew not to mess with it too much. He was like, he, he actually documented my bends as well that were in there because they aren't common, right? Now the, now the internet has like all these things documented. So like you could easily circuit bend something and make it do something that someone else did. Um, but mine were not done when, you know, this stuff was on the internet. So it was just, you had to figure it out, right? Um, so he went through, fixed all that up. I have it now. It looks great. It's it's how I remember it being. It works great. It's hilarious. Um, he also did a, a speak and spell for me too that I never got around to doing, which was like, it was like brand new. And then he just took it and worked his complete, I said, just go crazy on it and do all your crazy stuff to it. So, so. apparently ET was the first circuit vendor because he used a speak and spell to, to, to or it was speaking math. I don't remember which one to bring to, you know, to, 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 to signal home. And it then was the other red, thing is, right? 
Yeah, it was it was the red one. Which it was, was red. That was speaking spell. Yeah, it was speaking spell. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the the yellow one was speaking math. I don't, speak I don't and read. The yellow yeah. is speak and read. The math one was uh gray. Gray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, and then the other thing is, I was completely not expecting graves to come up on this podcast, but you 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 never yeah. know what's going to happen. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you you you, you tossed that in there. Well, we so can was, you can dig into that too if you want. I got no. I got stories for days. I I, I well I uh, maybe later on. Let's. Uh, why don't we go back to that to that Earthshaker? That's okay. Right, now now that people have the context of, of okay, who's so got some context. Yeah. So now now I'm looking at this Earthshaker and it knows what I'm, it knows that like my history, I guess. It, <laughs> so it's it's seen what's in my you know in my studio at the time, um, and uh, yeah, that's why the Earthshaker was shaking um, and uh, getting a little scared there. So. Uh, so after I installed all the hardware in there and got it all up and running, I started digging in and just writing my software. Since nobody wrote anything for Earthshaker, I got to start from scratch. So I went in and made it fairly similar to the original. Um, I did make it just slightly harder uh, to get multiball. I added some other little things, like there's a super skill shot um, where you have to launch all the way around and then hit the captive ball. Uh, and that does really cool stuff, gives you tons of points and stuff like that. It's just, it's mostly just points and having fun. Um, but uh, yeah, the, um, with the one of the cool things on that game that stands out the most to me is the multi-ball start. Um, what happens is you lock one, lock two, and then when you lock the third one, it will, it kills the power to the GI and everything. And it starts flashing things in like random orders. And it's making this like electrical breaking noise and the, the uh, shaker motor is going from, um, it doesn't just turn on and off. What it's doing is it's it's turning on just a little bit and it's turning on maybe a little bit more right here, maybe a little less now, maybe a little more here and then maybe really hard one time. And like, it's just kind of making it feel like an earthquake uh, or something starting, right? And then it has this big sound buildup and then it goes into this drum and bass song. And, uh, and while it's in multi-ball, it's, it's moving at a slow rate of speed. So I've, I've actually been in a small earthquake before, and it's not like what you would think, right? It's not like a very like crazy vibration. You know, it's actually a very slow swaying of the earth, at least the one that I was in. And that was really, really scary because you're like, these buildings are like, I mean, they're, they're doing great, but man, that is a, a, a slow movement is so much scarier than like a fast vibrate. Absolutely. Uh, Cause you could hit like a resonant frequency on something and then something's just going to collapse, you know, and the, it's, and the know, Tacoma narrows bridge comes down. Yeah, exactly. You don't know what that is, right? It just, it all comes down to resonance. Um, so uh, I made the shaker motor do the same sort of thing where the shaker motor spinning just at a slower rate of speed. And I, and it just kind of felt like it's very unsettling when you're playing that game because of that, that shaking. Uh, and I loved it so much. Um, did, and uh, did you have to put any circuitry in front of the motor in order to be able to regulate it? Or you were able to do it just through, through, through no, power? No, I was able motion? to do it. Yeah. So I was able to do it through circuitry because that um, motor is driven by a uh, tip 36 C. So it's driven by a transistor. So basically mm -hmm. I can turn it on and off very, very fast. Very fast. So I just, I threw a PWM on it and then just kind of tuned that PWM. Um, something fun to note if you're programming shaker motors is you can't just PWM something at 25% or 10% because it, the motor will actually not start. 
moving. Like it takes more power and more current to move the motor. So you have to pulse the motor first to get it moving. And then you can PWM it and it'll keep running. Um, it's kind of fun, but you have to find that balance though, because you don't want to feel the, the initial pulse of the motor. You want to just feel, you know, the, the constant running of it. So you got to like, you, you'll have to tune that in. It's going to be different every motor. So, um, and that's something that I used in TNA as well. And we can go down that route and I'll, I'll come back. Like when we talk about that, I'll come back and say like, that was where that came from, uh, the multi-ball in TNA, mm-hmm. uh, or the reactor critical in TNA does the same sort of uh, mm-hmm. slow shake that is just unsettling. Um, so, so yeah, Earthshaker uh, did well. I brought it to a bunch of uh, shows. I, uh, you know, I shared it with as many people as I could. It was sitting at Pinball Life for a long time because I didn't have any space to keep it. Um, I got it running on a Raspberry Pi as well. Mm. So it was fully self-contained. Uh, it did not have a service mode. It does not have the ability to run the original code. Um, it's just is what it is, you know, um, it was not meant to be a finished production product, you know? So, um, on, on, on that note, um, where, where is that machine now? Is it still a pinball life or this machine? Uh, I sold that off a while ago in 2019 or 2020. Um, that's gone. I think the machine, like I've, it's been through a few owners now, but I think I, I keep getting like, notes about like where these <laughs> these weird machines go to i it might be in florida but i'm not sure so it's around somewhere and it's still working so so um in in this early stage um of 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 homebrew um why don't you take a take a minute and talk about what the community was like you had talked about there's a forum that you were participating in you you, na- you name dropped a couple people um you know, and you were bringing machines to shows. So start, the, 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 tell us about the, about the community. Absolutely. So um, there was a website called pinballcontrollers.com, which is where the, uh, all the multimorphic uh, people or the PROC people got together um, to uh, initially, it was just PROC people um, got together to share their projects and uh, just talk in general. Uh, and that's where we kept, that's, that's where we started making a lot of friends actually. And uh um yeah it was so great to just see updates on people's stuff like it, i was so excited like at this point pinside didn't exist right so this was um oh god yeah it was like yeah so there was there was no pinside so it wasn't easy to like get access to this information um uh rec, game, rec games pinball was like a big thing but that was kind of like just a hodgepodge of all sorts of stuff it was impossible to follow things but we had this really nice forum where i could favorite something right like my friend Matt, who built uh, like the dead pin is what he called it. And it was like his first attempt at building a homebrew. And it was just like this graveyard thing. It was just so cool. Um, and uh, every time he would post an update on his thing, it would pop up to the top of my favorites list. And I was so excited to like <laughs> see it. You know, we'd go in there and we would type in like, oh, that's so cool. How did you do like X, Y, and Z? And then we were just openly sharing all these like things that we had found out. Um, and this was... <laughs> How, yeah, this was, how many people were on the on on the forum at that time? Would you say? Oh, I don't remember. Um, but do, do you think it's is it is it like? I mean, 10, I was directly 100? talking. Oh no, it wasn't a hundred. No, um, it was probably like twenty, maybe maybe yeah. thirty, um, early on. Um, I don't know for sure. I'll, you know, some people do know the answer to that, though. Like Jerry probably knows the answer to that. <laughs> um, 
So Scott, you you mentioned that you know it was a smallish community, twenty to forty people. Um, you know, very tight knit group. You were really excited to see when your friends posted and what they were doing. Up until this point, you had really been doing what I would call, you know, hacking the uh, uh, pinball machines, which is super awesome, and the, it's it's a it's a great you know a great journey to go down to. Um, we know how the story progresses, given given where we are today. So, how did you transition into starting to build a homebrew? Um, okay, so yeah, this is this is uh, again another crazy thing that brought one thing to another here. Um, as part of that community, um, we were all kind of like we're, we were supporting each other a lot, right? And my buddy Matt is the guy that's responsible for this. Um, Matt Bonama, by the way, is his last name. He's um, he would constantly be like, Scott, when are you going to build an actual game? Because he was building, he had already built like two games by the time, like, or he built one game fully, which was Deadpin. And then he was working on his Doom homebrew game, um, like while I was just kind of finishing up Earthshaker. And um, he's like, when are you going to build like a real game, like a full one from scratch? I'm like, ah, I don't have time for that. You know, ah, I can do that. But he kept, uh, he kept, you know, harassing me about it. And I'm like, you know what? I, I guess I could. I mean, at this point, I'm working at Pinball Life at this point now. It's 2015. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I have access to these parts. And I'm like, you know, the thing that I complain about a lot in the community is that when people try to reinvent things that they shouldn't, like uh, if they reinvent a flipper assembly or reinvent a pop bumper assembly or use some custom manufactured lane guides, right? Like, like or, or, wire, or wind their own coil. Yeah. Wind their own coil. That's a really good, that's an extreme example. That's like, that's crazy to me. Right. So I'm like, you know what, like this is bothering me. Like, and I, I'm looking at this platform now we've got this at this point, um, the P3 rock system came out, right? So the P3 uh, circuit board system, and this thing is designed for, you know, full out games. And I'm like, you know, man, I could do this. Like I could do full RGB on something, you know, cause we're starting to experiment with RGB lights. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I could do this full RGB thing. Um, wizard of Oz had just come out at <laughs> that point as well. And I was, um, I, I was like, uh, you know, I, I was I'm happy that Jersey Jack, right. Started, you know, coming out and going up as the second manufacturer of pinball machines in the world at that moment. Right. And uh, so I'm like, that's pretty great. But like, I'm looking at Wizard of Oz and I'm like, man, they put full RGB on this thing, but they completely used it wrong. Like it's like, and and it was bothering me a lot. Like, you know, and I totally get it. I understand why they did what they did. They have this new technology. They wanted to show it off. So everything was rainbows, right? So they're using all these colors and it's just everywhere, right? And I thought in my head, I'm like, well, what if I did this? What if I built a game? And what if it was full RGB, just like Wizard of Oz? You know, maybe not as many lights, but (laughs) because that's crazy what they did. Um, But what if I used it like a normal pinball machine, right? The GI lit up, you know, white, right? Like the inserts were kind of the same color when they would light up and blink, right? But then out of nowhere, you could have a crazy wash of color out of nowhere and they have it go right back to like normal pinball again. I think it would catch people off guard. It would make a huge impact. I'm like, and imagine if that game had like 
thinkable sound, right? Like right. from the ground up sound, you know, including sound effects that are a throwback from the 80s, right? And what if it had no ramps, right? Because everyone's throwing ramps in their homebrew games. And I'm like, and the games that my friends and I liked to, like, like my friend Jay and Doug, right? Uh, we all love to play games together. And we found ourselves moving toward the more simple games, like the old Bally games or the yeah. old Williams games, the single level stuff, right? Like Cosmic Gunfight and like, you know, Electra and stuff like that. So it's like just crazy different games. Um, and uh, I'm like, I could do that. I could make a game that would be fun for us to play with quick ball times, with really crazy music. I've designed car stereo systems before as well. So I'm like, I could put a ridiculous car stereo system in it, um, do all this stuff. And I made this like big checklist of things. Um, and I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to try and do it. So I started dabbling in, in um, I, I went right into SolidWorks to tell you the truth. Like I just, I, I'm really comfortable in 3D design and SolidWorks. So like, to me, that was like the, the way to do it. I don't use like future pinball or anything like that or so, virtual so, pinball or whatever it is. SolidWorks being a very professional grade. It, uh, it cat, is. Cat software. Yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy, crazy software application. So, um, so I went into SolidWorks. Oh, so, so, Scott, Scott, let me ask you, yeah. did you have that sure. experience before that? Or oh yeah, you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had, I had already been, so I had, um, I learned AutoCAD in like 96 or 97 um, with like R14. If anyone knows yeah. AutoCAD, stuff i learned it back in r14 and then um i just kept up with it because i really enjoyed drawing stuff in there and in college i took some engineering classes um and they also were pushing SolidWorks, so i started dabbling in that uh got myself an education license you know that kind of stuff so um you know fast forward to to 2015 i've actually already started my denisi designs company at this point um, a few years prior, and I was just doing some CAD work, uh, just random CAD work for some, um, you know, sound companies and some other random clients that I, uh, that I found. And um, I, uh, so I was already super proficient in this thing and I'm building something in 3D and I'm, I am working for Pinball Life at this point as the engineer there. So it's, that's my day to day thing. So I was going home working on that. Uh, I was cutting play fields because I had, I have a, uh, an X-Carve uh, CNC machine. So I'm able to cut a play field, test it all out, mess with some things, redrill some holes if I need to redo it and make another revision, run that, cut it again, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I actually still have one of the really early TNA, um, uh, play fields sitting in my garage right now, that I cut originally and it was a, it was a different design for the locking mechanism, which is and, really cool. And while you use CAD techniques and CAD tech, uh, tools and technologies to do CNC, it's a different type of CADing that you're doing, you know, putting out tool paths, um, et, oh, yeah. et cetera. So it's like, it, had, had you done that type of work before you got your, 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 your X-Carve or was it, so you learned it when, when you got, I the got the, yeah, I got the X-Carve so I could learn CAM programming. Okay. So CAM programming. Um, which for those of you who don't know, it's computer aided machining. So that's a, that's a completely different thing, right? You have to take something that you drew in CAD and then bring it over into this cam software. And then you have to tell it how to do the tool paths so that you cut in the right spots and go to the right depths and all that crazy stuff. Um, so I did the, um, so I learned on the X carve, uh, 
And once I learned that, I got really proficient with that as well. And then um, was able to just like cut play fields, no problem. I was cutting play fields for homebrew people as well at that point, um, just because I had quick access to do it. And um, yeah, so I went through a few revisions of the play field, which I knew I wanted. I didn't have a name for it, but I knew I wanted it to be um, this like radioactive theme where you're... Um, because uh, for me personally, um, radioactive stuff scares the crap out of me. Um, it's it's just a it's just one of those fears. I mean, you should be scared of radioactive stuff as a human being. It's just like you all humans <laughs> should be scared of heights to a certain extent, right? Right. <laughs> it's like it's just you know trying to save yourself. So uh, so yeah, it was really like I'm like oh that's like scary, right? I want to make a scary pinball machine. Um, and my original idea for this game was to have the person be the bad guy where you're going in and you're trying to destroy this, you know, this civilization. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm going to make it, I'm just going to make it like completely opposite of everything else that's happening right now. Right. I wanted to just like, I wanted to make an impact, right. I wanted this homebrew to be different. I wanted it to be edgy, uh, techno music was not in pinball machines at this point right it's just and people in my opinion i didn't think anyone in the pinball community would even like techno music or any sort of electronic music um but i boy, didn't care like and, and boy were you wrong <laughs> I, I was i was wrong and I, I that's that was very very surprising to me and we can talk about that later too but that's that shocked the crap out of me um but so I uh, so this this game that I was working on was designed to just be very edgy, very, uh, very like different. Right. So I set myself that goal of getting it to Expo in 2016, um, which I did. Uh, I wanted I had the game called Total Annihilation at that point because I was like, what's a cool like name? And then <laughs> not realizing that that was already in like Attack from Mars. So I'm like, oh, well, that's already in there, too. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Right. I'm like laser cutting side rails for the thing is a total <laughs> annihilation in them and stuff. The original Whitewood has those side rails still on it. Um, I do know where that game is. It's not in the United States anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, so I built this whole thing out. I got it to Expo in 2016. And um, that was the first time it was it was a little bit nerve wracking for me because it was the first time that game had been just on public display. Um, I didn't know what to expect. I, I don't know if I totally cared if people liked it or not, because I had already had my friends playing it and they thought it was a lot of fun. So I was like, all right, perfect. We're just going to play this thing. Let's go play dollar games at expo. I just dumped it there at the homebrew booth with all the rest of the homebrew people. Um, and, uh, it had a line the whole time, which was really crazy. And I was just standing around watching people play this thing. And just shocked that people would even like it. It wasn't, the software wasn't done. It had like one reactor in it. Um, it changed music. Uh, it had, it had like two songs in it. So it had the total annihilation song and alpha particles in it. Uh, and that was it. And the sound effects were pretty close to what they are today. They were just not totally complete. There were a lot of things missing. It just kept score. It didn't really have a lot of like, didn't really have a lot of storyline stuff going on. It just, it just, like, and since I didn't have a storyline and didn't have a theme, really, it, it just was like, light, these shots lit up, shoot those things. Oh, it does a thing there. Oh, that number counts up. Oh, I get it. You know, it's just real simple 
stuff, right? It's real simple pinball. A, a, a couple of questions. Um, did you already have the the well named DC uh, targets um, and locks in 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 the game at that point? I did. Yeah. Okay. So that was another shock factor for people because I was like, what if we, you know, what if I just throw these? Because I wanted inline drops for sure. Love and it actually, yeah, they're great. And it, and I'm like, well, how am I gonna? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, how am I going to keep the balls from not like when it resets? Like if it resets during multi-ball, a ball could be in there. Like it could grab it, right? I'm like, well, how am I going to keep that from happening? Well, thinking about it, I'm like, well, I could just not reset them. I'm like, it's kind of boring. I'm like, what if I put optos behind the drop target so it knows if something's behind it? And then what if I just do that purposely? (laughs) I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, Um, so... Did you have artwork um, for for uh, the the game at that point? I did not. Okay. No. So uh, Papa Duke was making his games at this point as well, and uh, I was hypercritical of his process as well, um, just because he would focus a lot on art before he did anything else production wise. And being in a manufacturing environment for so long, and being in professional environments for many, many years, including all those BI systems that we've designed, right? You don't make it look pretty until it right. works. Like oh. that is a big mistake and it's a big failure point. Um, so uh, I, I was hypercritical on that. So I didn't touch art at all until this game was like really, really far along. Um, and I was actually just going to keep it a whitewood for a while longer until it was like done in my eyes for a homebrew. And then I was going to contract out uh, or attempt to do it myself. I don't know. I, I had ideas of what I wanted it to look like because I was really into this retro futurism thing, um, which is a look back at the eighties and what the eighties thought the future was going to look like. Right. Um, it's this, it's this eighties thing that never existed. Right. The 80s was all brown and stuff like this, this neon 80s thing just wasn't a thing, right? Um, yeah, everything smelled like cigarettes and it was all brown. Um, and uh, so uh, I, uh, I I didn't know about the area. So I, it was really strange because at this point that at Expo, uh, I got I was really happy with with the reception of the game. And I'm like, well, that's. I, I felt really, really good about myself and really validated for all the hard work I was putting in. Um, my, my wife was also very, very supportive of this. Um, you know, not, maybe not at first, but, uh, like once she realized like what I was doing and everything, she helped a lot by, um, making sure I had the time to actually do that, uh, awesome. to work on this project. Uh, cause she believed in it because she saw how much I believed in it. So it was really cool. Um, so at this point, now I'm friends with Charlie at Spooky Pinball because Pinball Life is a huge vendor for Spooky Pinball. Um, and Alice Cooper was in development at this point. And they're still, you know, they're still working on it. Um, Rob Zombie is is finishing up. And they were like, you know, like Charlie was talking to me. He was, he's like making jokes in front of people. He's like, ah, what if I just buy this design from you right now? And I'm like, not for sale, buddy. I'm like, get out of here, you know, like we're just teasing each other. And um, it was it was after that. Charlie's like, well, you know, we could we could make this happen. I saw the reception. People do like it. Like if we could like we could manufacture it for you and you wouldn't have to worry about anything else. Like you could just 
you know, do the software, do the updates, finish this thing off, like work with our team to get the CAD all done and the assembly done properly and all this other stuff. Uh, and I'm just like, at first I'm just like, I don't know, man, like it's just, it's a ton of work. Um, you know, I don't really have the time totally. And at this point, I'm just kind of like, I'm just kind of up in the air about it. Um, it was, it was then um, Alice Cooper was still in development, getting ready to hit the line. Right. Uh, and they weren't quite ready for it. Like I saw, they, they were ready. They could have done it. Um, but Charlie's like, you know, if we slid your game in here and made like 50 of these, like that's going to give me enough time to like just polish up like X, Y, and Z on here and make me like not stressed out. So I don't have to do it in like a week. I could do it in like, you know, a few months instead. He goes, we could just slip that in there. It'll be perfect. You know, I'm like, I'm like, uh all right, well, let's, let's talk about it. You know? So we talked about stuff. We talked about the details of how I would um, get the files over there and like how I would support with the software production, um, how I would do all this other stuff like post go live support and, you know, um, you know, just everything. We just talked about all this stuff and we're like, we're, we figured out, we're like, actually this could work. And we tried to get the game as cheap as possible because we knew if you release a game and announce a game with no ramps on it, everybody's going to tear into you like crazy, right? It hadn't been done, right? It was not a thing. I'm like, but Charlie and I both were like, and then the other people I've talking to, like, it's, it, it was played great. It was fun. It didn't need ramps to be fun. Right. And, and there was demand for something different at this point. There was demand for something different. Yeah. And this was very, very, very different. Uh, so um, when I finally agreed to like, say, okay, let's go ahead and do this. Um, let's see if we can make it happen. Let's see how many we sell. We went through the bill of materials. We went through everything, um, and tried to get that price down as low as we possibly could, which was six grand at the time. And that was not just spooky pinball cutting like costs. That was like, that was everybody like low royalties, like, uh, Terry at Pinball Life did a, a ton for that. He lowered the cost of the actual parts that were going into that machine. Just just took his, like, uh, not all of his margin out, but he took a right. lot of, a chunk of his actual profit out of those things so that we could actually make this game happen. And it wasn't, it, and it wasn't just Terry. It was, it was everybody across the board on this thing to try and get it down. We got the retail price down to $6,000. Amazing. Um, which was really good. It was fifty nine ninety five or something like that. So, um, which is crazy to think now. Um, but uh, yeah, and I mean, and everybody still made a bit of money. No one went out of business because of that. Like we wanted to make sure like it wasn't going to, you know, wasn't going to hurt anybody. Right. So it was still okay. Just wasn't really a profitable game for them. Um, Scott, so, I want to, yeah. I, I want to ask you something about that game. Um, sure. The uh, when you were building the homebrew, you were you know you were using CAD, you were doing three D modeling, you talked about SolidWorks, you were doing the the programming and the sound, um, but you were really designing for one machine. There's 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 this concept of mechanical engineering of designing for scale, designing for manufacturing, which is not always the same as designing for yourself. Now you happen to have a professional background, you know, you're the engineer for for Binball Life, and so I'm sure some of those techniques 
already we're moving forward. But how much you you talked on the business side on and and it's pretty fascinating to see what was done to to, to reduce costs and have everybody you know still still not you know not lose their houses on it but not make significant money. What was done on the manufacturing side, the engineering side, to ensure that the machine could actually hit the line, be manufactured? Yeah. So this this is also a, a part where. Uh, I struggled a lot. I went into this uh, thinking like, okay, so we, we agreed like, okay, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to hand over the CAD files. We're going to do this stuff. We're going to prototype this, hire an artist, do all this stuff. I'm like, great, because I did everything by the book in my eyes, right? I said, I've got CAD. I've got this. I've got this. I did all this stuff, right? I can do all this. I start looking through everything. I start preparing it for manufacturer and realize there is a ton of work that is not done. Right. I went in kind of cocky, actually, like I like in my own head. I'm just kind of like, OK, I totally did this right. You know, I got everything covered. Right. And I look I go back and inventory everything. And I now look at it from a manufacturing perspective, which I hadn't really been doing. Um, and then I look at it and I go, oh, crap. I'm <laughs> like, there, <laughs> there's so much that needs to be done. It needed to be completely rewired. It needed to be like um, things needed to like be in places where if someone drops the play field, it's not going to smash the circuit board. Like there's things that you don't think about when you're building a homebrew, you're just trying to get it to work and you're like, good enough for me. Um, so the, uh, the biggest thing that people can relate to that, uh, like an example that I can say is that uh, we, I sent the CAD files over and then realized I didn't have the holes for the spinner put in because <laughs> guess who, drilled those by hand in their uh whitewood yeah i drilled those by hand never went back to the cad and updated it wait wait so you you, you drill something in the whitewood and it doesn't magically show I, up in the it CAD? doesn't magically show up on the computer i don't know what happened i thought everything magically showed up but it didn't so uh so yeah i had to fix that right away and uh little things like that and you're gonna find that all the time like there's gonna be things like that when you're when you're not in that manufacturing mindset from the beginning um, so I did struggle with that a lot. There was many, many, many hours and just in DFM. And, and then there's also design for servicing. Like, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody needs to open up the machine, get under the play field and, you know, has to get a screwdriver into a specific place. Like there's actually a reason why certain holes exist in specific places. So you can actually get to a screw that's on the play field without taking off multiple different assemblies or, right. you know, some, some safety features. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm 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 amazed that you're talking about the time frame that you are and how quickly you guys were able to get it, you know, and, and make the business successful as well as make the 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 technology successful. Yeah, it was it it was really a ton of work. Like and a lot of people stepped up and, and to help with that. So um yeah, it was like Terry and Charlie and myself. And it's just that, that was crazy. Um but their their team over at Spooky Pimmel also stepped up too and and just got this thing going we built the first game together just to make sure that everything was okay uh and uh that went pretty smooth actually it was ed robertson's game so that was the one we all had our hands in and <laughs> built the first one and gave it the thumbs up That's that was the one we actually drove to canada i don't know if you saw that at all yeah, there's a uh, there's a video uh that uh jack danger put out where uh him and i drove ed robertson's actual oh. tna to him from chicago to uh toronto i didn't know that so 
yeah, it's really cool. And it's just this, it's just fun. It's just Jack and I the whole time just making jokes and being dumb in the car and then getting there, having a great time, and then like being super tired and then heading home the next day and getting crappy coffee, you know, that kind of stuff. T- Tim Hortons, uh, I assume. Yeah, Tim Hortons, of course. But that actually wasn't bad coffee. We got bad coffee from a place like just some gas station that it was terrible. I don't know what was going on. We ended up pouring it out, I think. So like it was bad. Um so uh, that, that's kind of a fun thing. But anyway, so that is the TNA story uh, in a little bit of a different light than I usually talk about, uh, which is kind of neat. Um, so, so you know, as, as, a, as a postscript to that, um, TNA is one of my absolute favorite games. And um, the way I actually got introduced to it was through virtual pinball. Um, And as I was doing a little homework on it, uh, I had never actually played the game for quite some time. You you know, Scott knows this, but the the listeners don't know. Every time I play a a TNA on location now, I send Scott a picture of the machine that I played. And if it's off, I send him a picture letting him know that that, that it was off as well. Um, I I absolutely adore the game. I can make it maybe, I think I made it to the third reactor once in my life. I'm I'm not good. Um, But I learned on virtual pinball and... um, I learned the game on virtual open ball. And I was actually really surprised that on your blog, as I was doing some, some, some uh, pre-prep for this, for this uh, podcast, you actually supported the folks working on the virtual pinball version of it. And, you know, like seeing you come through the homebrew community, you know, get your first game out the door and now I'm supporting, you know, the, the virtual pinball community to actually make the best version of that game they possibly can. It's, it's really cool to see how, you know, in, in multiple different facets of ways, you're 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 helping things forward. Um, so so um, you, you know, I'll, I'll keep sending you pictures of every every time I play the machine. I think I've I've got twenty great. twenty under my belt. Yeah, it's um, awesome. The um the and I'm sure folks will start doing that now to you as well if they I'm sure they already do it. <laughs> um, so 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 that was you know that was the the the, the TNA journey. Um, you've got a relationship with Spooky. At the, I mean, you already had a relationship with Spooky. You've got a, mm-hmm. a a more in-depth relationship with them. How did you parlay from going from your homebrew being manufactured to actually, you know, designing games for for Spooky and then for for Multimorphic? Like you um, you, yes. you made the jump from from maker to market. So so let's yeah, hear that story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that doesn't that that actually has been happening more often recently. Um, it didn't at the time, though. Um, at the time, that was kind of unheard of. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely happening more and more. But um, so we got TNA done, right? And now Alice Cooper came out. Alice Cooper was great. And then um, I helped with the sound effects and sound and stuff for that and did some light shows and things just to kind of put a little more polish on the game there. And then Charlie comes up to me and says, Hey, would you, would you be interested in doing another design for us? Like an actual design of a game. And I'm like, at first I'm just kind of like, yeah, no, I, it's, it's so much work. Like TNA took like years off my life, I think because, <laughs> with all the stress. So I, uh, I originally was just like, I can't, I mean, I, I really can't and I'll help out, but a little and but I, I can't do it all again, man. That's it's crazy. What, what was done. He goes, Oh yeah, no, you wouldn't have to do it all. Like, and I'm like, well, I don't know, man. I'm probably not going to do it. He goes, he says to me, like on the phone, he goes, what if I uh, told you I got the license for Rick and Morty? And I was like, um, okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> I'm like, I'll design the play field. 
I'll build like a whitewood, but I need a programmer. I need, you know, someone to help me do engineering on like ramps and things. I need like this and this and support and like all this other stuff. You know, I, I was just like, that's how I'm going to do it. And, and he's like, he's like, okay, done do it. And I said, okay, great. Cause I had some ideas already uh, in my head for a really cool layout that, um, that I wanted to, uh, that I wanted to make. It wasn't a Rick and Morty layout to begin with, but it turned into that because I just had a couple little mechs that I drew up that I was like, oh, this would be cool if I did something like this. Um, like that locking mechanism in Rick and Morty mm -hmm. is the second iteration of that TNA lock. Right. Yeah. So um, I also, when thinking about this game as a whole, I'm like, well, if I'm designing a game for Rick and Morty, like, I, it needs to be chaotic. Like the show, you need to feel like you are not really in control of what's happening around you. Right. So I'm like, okay, uh, pop bumper instead of a slingshot, let's try it. You know, I'm just, I'm just talking crazy stuff. Right. Um, and, uh, I'm like, I, I need to make like a really tough shot that is like next to impossible and make it, you know, make it really rewarding when you hit it. So I started laying this out and I've got this shot off the upper flipper. That's just really, really low. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to make the shots off the right flipper, not be in the sweet spot of the flipper. Right. So that they're, <laughs> so that people who are just used to like, you know, ball coming down, flipping it, a ramp is always in the same spot. I moved the ramp out of that sweet spot so that it would be, you would have to think before you made the shot, you know, you have to purposely try to go for that. Um, you know, really, really like a ton of that stuff went in there. And then, um, the game ended up being just absolutely insane, uh, in my eyes to tell you the truth. It's really, really chaotic and I may have overdone it, uh, but to tell you the truth, it fits the theme so well that it, it's fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, we got to, uh, have, you know, Justin Roiland do all these like custom call outs and everything. We made him say lion man as well, which is great. <laughs> um, Rob zombie said lion man as well. Uh, Alice Cooper said lion man. Uh, Justin Roiland said lion man. Let's see who else did we get to say lion man? Probably a bunch of people. Um, but, uh, that, that was just, it was fun. It was a really fun project. It was really, again, a really stressful project again. Um, I, I needed, um, it would have been better for me if I had another engineer to help me out with some other things. Um, it would have taken a lot of load off of me um, to be able to work more on sound and stuff. But um, the sound package on that game was absolutely just amazing. So it's, um, so, yeah. it, it's really cool to hear, like you, you are clearly a jack of all traits. You're not, you know, you're not average, like you're extremely proficient on many of those traits, if not all of those traits. And um, to be able, oh, I don't and, remember and, birthdays very well, <laughs> so that's not good. That 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 is fair. But in, in in terms of like, you can do everything on a pinball, and you have done every you know every major major system on a pinball. Um, but to hear you say like getting a good team, and that's the that's the way to to build a machine. Like that's like there's nothing better than than put, you know assembling a good band and and just hearing what the what the band can play. Um. Real, real quickly, uh, you know, you've got Final Resistance that's that's actually uh, shipping out right now. I'm I'm actually in the third batch, so I'm sitting here patiently waiting for 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 my Final Resistance. I can't wait for it. Um, you know, I've had a P3 now for just over a year, I think. Um, 
So how did uh, how did it go? Uh, you've obviously had a relationship with 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 Jerry and company going back almost a decade. Um, how did how did it go about um, get you know becoming the the head designer in Final Resistance with the dream team that you have for Final Resistance? Yeah, that that was incredible actually. So um, Jerry and I talk a lot. Like I I ordered uh, I ordered a P three. And because uh, I really liked what Jerry was doing, I wanted to support him. And I was also very curious about the platform. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm like, I wonder like how tough it would be to actually do like a homebrew on this thing. Turns out it's actually quite uh, easy. They're not easy, but it's quite straightforward because there's so much, there's so many resources available for this. Yep. Surprised more people aren't doing it yet. I think maybe it's just like, it, maybe it's just starting or something like it. It just hasn't it, happened yet. It's great because you can do software only. You can do software yeah. with existing modules and you can also homebrew your own modules. It's it's yeah. absolutely fantastic. Anyways. It's great. Yeah, and there's a really great framework for it too. Um, so so Jerry and I were talking about this thing and he goes, uh, he's like, hey, would you uh, want to design one of our modules? And I'm like, okay. He goes, well, and you're if you're going to do that, like, because I'm like, I've got ideas for this thing. I'm looking at this platform. And I'm like, I, I got some ideas that I want to do. And uh, he's like, well, what does that look like to you? You know, I'm like, well, again, I need a team like this is I need a team. I need some of these people to, you know, do this heavy lifting with me. So we come out with a great product. And he's like, OK, um, cool. He's like, I'm like, so I'm interested in designing a game that's not a Scott homebrew game that I make or, you know, sell the royalties to. I want to make a multimorphic game where it's an actual game on your platform in your catalog. And he's like, that sounds great. So uh, I start going through and we're talking about who we want on the team. Um, I said that I had been talking to Bowen because um, Bowen worked with me on Rick and Morty. Um, and Bowen and I are great friends as well. So we talk a lot and he's had this idea for this game where it's this wave based game, almost like a video game. Uh, and I thought it was just a really cool idea. Mm -hmm. And uh so I was like, I told Jerry, I'm like, okay, well, we, we need to get Bowen for sure to, uh, to come on board. And he goes, okay, great. I'll talk to Bowen because I think, you know, uh, we'll get him in early and we could probably use him a little bit on Weird Al too. You know, I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, get him, get him on board. Um, and then I was talking um, about Michael Ocean, uh, who is somebody I have known for 15 years, maybe um michael designed uh he was one of the original homebrewers he designed the uh framework that i used for tna uh and the skeleton game framework um and when jerry said that he I, that we could get him to do the software on my right. game i was like dude i'm like this is that's just crazy like yeah so um yeah so that was I, i'm like oh man i'm like i'm like crazy in on this right and then I was like, but Jerry, I need, like, I need help with engineering. Like, I can't do every single piece of this engineering. Like, this is a very complicated system. You know, he goes, fine. He goes, I have an engineer. And the engineer that you already know right. is the TJ, right? Who's and amazing. He's, like, he, he's an amazing engineer. And I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, you're going to let me just use his time for this project? I'm like, okay, great. All right. So this is <laughs> starting to get crazy. And um and then the next thing is Rory. So Rory is uh, a guy I knew just 
from meeting him back in the day, like we had our, our homebrew games and then Multimorphic brought a bunch of the games. So I met him at shows and stuff and he did all these crazy animations and stuff for, uh, for this game. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, we're going to use him too. Cause he's a Multimorphic employee. It's like, that's great. And then Jerry sends me the question. He goes, uh, what do we do about an artist? Um, I say, uh, I'm like, well, I've got two options for an artist right now. I, I love using Matt Andrews as an artist, right? He did uh, TNA with me. He does all my album artwork. Um, we, we are friends, right? So I'm like, okay, well, you know, problem though, is that Matt is still working on Weird Al and he's pretty booked up and I don't think we're going to be able to get him. And so I said, well, I've got another guy. I know, I know a guy out in Montreal that is really good friends with another good friend of mine. Um, I am not yet friends with him at this point in time, but I'm like, he worked for Stern and did the Stern Jurassic Park. Yep. Um, and weird, I'm going to Montreal in like a month to go out there to visit this other friend. So I'm going to go out there and see what I can do. So he's like, okay, cool. Let me know. You know, so I go out there. Uh, my friend introduces me to Johnny. Um, Johnny's on a scissor lift up in the air, uh, spray painting on the side of a building. This is Johnny crap. Johnny crap. Yep. He is, uh, he's up there spray painting a mural on the side of this brick building. Right. Uh, in downtown Montreal, he like brings a little scissor Jack down, comes down to meet me. I'm like, Holy crap. What are you doing? He's like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, no man. He's like, this is like, I get, you know, I, I, I get hired to do these jobs where I do these crazy things and this, these, these murals. If you guys don't know about Johnny Crap's murals, uh, you should look up his website. I think it's just johnnycrap.com. Um, look at his Instagram and stuff. He posts pictures of these things all the time. It's crazy what he does. Yeah, so, so Johnny comes down um, off the scissor lift and we're talking about like, you know, how the, uh, like th this vision I have for this game and if I could get him as an artist and we talk about his timing and everything and, and it actually just worked out and he agreed. He said, I love the theme. I love the idea. I love where your head's at. Let's, uh, yeah, let's go. And so I gave, um, I gave Jerry the heads up that, that Johnny was in and I said, uh, you know, Jerry wanted to see some art samples from him, which is totally great. And I, you know, Johnny whipped those things up for us real quick and uh, we all agreed that he would be uh, perfect for it. So yeah, it was really great. And that's how Final Resistance, the team actually got put together there. Um, couldn't have asked for it any better. So uh, that that's amazing, Scott. It's 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 yeah. so cool to hear the complete journey, and then also get some some you know so, some fill in from early early on in life when you when you develop the Mac. Um, so uh, you know, as we as we close down the interview, and I really appreciate the time you took and the level of depth that you went into. Um, I'd love to have you on the show show show, show again in the future. Maybe we Absolutely. can cover co 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 uh, cover some of the other things that came up. Um, Absolutely. I uh, do you have any advice for a incoming home brewer, you know, who's just starting their journey right now? Um, things that they should do, things that they shouldn't do. Absolutely. So the things uh, for a home brewer coming in, don't uh, don't come in thinking that your game's going to get made into production. Um, Good because advice. yeah, it, you need to build a homebrew game for you and not for anyone else. That's the biggest thing. Like, don't don't do something that uh, or don't not do something because you think um, that someone will dislike it, right? 
if you want to build a homebrew that has the main character as this evil protagonist, just just do it, right? Um, yeah, so that's the biggest advice I can give. Um, if you decide to one day want to work in the pinball industry, homebrew games are a great resume. Um, they don't usually get made, though. This It's very, very rare. Um, so build it for you. Build it, you know, the best you can and try and get yourself a job if that's what you want, you know? It's fantastic advice, Scott. So Absolutely. look, um, I think I think we'll 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 wind it down now. Again, thank you so much. Um, as as a true fan, um, and you know, in, in talking to you more and more, I, I feel like we could just just have a beer and talk for for days. And I I, I love meeting people like that. Um, yeah. I'll be at Expo. I hope I, I I assume you'll be at Expo, but I didn't ask you. Yeah, I will yeah. be at Expo. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be there randomly because we got the pinball Olympics on Saturday, so I won't be around during during the day on Saturday. But yeah, I'm yeah. um one of the things that I'm most interested excited about this year is uh to go to the pinball Olympics. I was with my daughter last year and I loved having her there, but she's not gonna be there this year. I want to take Saturday, go to I took Saturday to go see Chicago with her, but I I'm I'm excited about pinball Olympics. And I think I think that there's a story about pinball Olympics. I don't know if it's only you or there's others that that but I think that there's a story about some some home brewing and some crafting and some hacking that would be you know would 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 make an interesting uh, an an interesting story. So maybe maybe in the future we can we can sounds talk about great. That. Yeah, we can definitely talk about that. All right, Matt. Listen, thank you. Have a wonderful night. Thank, thank, you, thank you so you. much. Goodbye. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I can't wait to see what you make. 